We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by regular commentator Ross Feingold. Good evening. And Taiwanese Public Opinion Foundation Research Fellow Paul Huang. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the KMT opting to choose its candidate for the 2024 presidential election by nominating one. Visits to Taiwan by Germany's Education Minister, a pending visit to Taiwan by the Speaker of the Czech Parliament's Lower House, and also visits to Taiwan by parliamentary delegations from Paraguay and the UK. And the Ministry of Culture seeking to amend laws in order to better protect consumers from ticket scalpers following the Blackpink concerts in Kaohsiung this past weekend. But we'll begin with the Maing Zhou Culture and Education Foundation on Monday, confirming that the former head of state will be visiting China from March the 27th through April the 7th. Now, according to the foundation, Ma's trip is aimed at worshipping his ancestors during the upcoming tomb-sweeping weekend and to lead a delegation of Taiwanese students to make exchanges there with their Chinese counterparts. The foundation says Ma is planning to travel to the Chinese cities of Nanjing, Wuhan, Changsha, Chongqing and Shanghai and will be visiting historical sites related to the 1911 revolution and the 1937 to 1945 Sino-Japanese war. Now the trip to China will be the first by a former Taiwan head of state. Now Foundation Executive Director Xiao Xu Chen told reporters that Ma believes cross-strait ties have been cut off over the past few years and that dialogue between young people from both sides of the Taiwan Strait can reduce the risk of conflict. Xiao also stressed that Ma is not planning to meet with any top Chinese political figures or visit Beijing. And the Foundation Executive Director went on to dismiss speculation as to the timing of Ma's visit to China, with the executive director saying although the trip is set to overlap with a visit by President Tsai Ing-wen to the United States, that's purely coincidental as Ma's itinerary was planned before the Lunar New Year holiday. Now China's Taiwan Affairs Office says it welcomes Ma's plans, with office spokesman Ma Xiaoguang saying that paying respects to one's ancestors is a common practice on both sides of the Taiwan Strait, and he believes Ma's leading a delegation of students to China from Taiwan can add a new dimension and inject youthful vitality into the peaceful development of cross-strait relations. However, and needless to say, Ma's plans, Ross, have drawn a rather mixed reaction politically here in Taiwan. Well, no surprise that the government and Democratic Progressive Party politicians would be critical and say that you're giving in to China, the timing is wrong because of China's ongoing threats, uh, and there's there's validity to that. Uh, I, you know, we could only speculate because they basically said we, we had no part of that, how the Nationalist Party feels, although they've issued statements you know, supportive because uh, it's broadly consistent with their policies anyway, uh, so they're not going to criticize uh, former President Ma for this. Uh, then, of course, uh, China will welcome it. Uh, you read the statement from the Chinese uh, government spokesperson. There'll definitely be more of that uh, as President Ma is traveling around to those various cities. Uh, I guess I, I should say I, I admire his willingness to go to Wuhan. Um, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a sensitive location. Uh, I, I kind of admire the willingness of these young people to go. You know, who are they? I, you know, uh, polling, and I'll defer to Paul on the polling because he's the expert, but polling seems to indicate that young, the young cohort, you know, the 20 to the 29 group, uh, is is as of now, leaning towards Lai Qingde, William Lai, uh, as their preferred presidential candidate. So uh, 
who are these young people who feel so enthusiastic about about this that that they're accompanying President Mon? They're not afraid of the reaction from their classmates or contemporaries. <laughs> I find that quite quite interesting. Uh, uh, but uh, I'll, I'll close with this: uh, It's only March and April, and uh, come voting day next January, nobody's going to care about this. And and anyone, uh, you know, my friends in the DPP side, you know, you, you're going to keep talking about this for the next eight months. People will just will just get tired uh, of hearing the criticism. You know, we get it. You're going to criticize Ma while he's there. And when he comes back and says how wonderful it was and how it helps peace, and you'll say, no, it doesn't. I get that part. But uh, I don't think the voters really care. And they're not going to care on voting day. They're going to evaluate whoever the the candidates are. And Ma's trip in, in late March, or early April to China will be irrelevant. So, Paul, I mean, who were these young people? Oh, you'd be, well, there's not, no surprise you, you, um, Give out the money for them to have this free trip to China. Who, who will say no? You, there will be a long line of young people. That, uh, you know, are certainly as wait, 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 you mean they're not enthused? To, they're not to, enthused uh, to see Sun Yat-sen's mausoleum? It's a free trip. <laughs> it's a free, free trip. They're, they're then, not, then they're, they're going to uh, if it's free, then they're going to line up and they're going to want to go. Even to Wuhan. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, Paul, did didn't these are like. I mean, obviously, they're going to be university-aged children or young adults. Do you think they're like maybe MA, master's program people, possibly PhD people looking to write papers about cross-strait issues? Yeah, some of these uh, kid, the, these, these young folks in, uh, on the KMT side, that and I happen to know some of them, that they're fitting to this category. And then they research, write about cross-strait relations because that's considered the KMT's... Uh, Strong suit, or they, at least they 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 they, they believe so. Um, but uh, but on the whole, um, the visit to China thing. Uh, my view is, well, first he is a he is a reti- he is a retired former president. He's a private individual now, as far as we care, um, as as far as CCP cares, because the CCP they know that he doesn't have power. Nor does he have much sway over the current KMT. Anyone who tells you otherwise uh, doesn't really know KMT politics, because he he has not been very active in KMT politics in the last few years. I mean, that uh, and the, the the current primary uh, contest or the, the legal primary in the KMT, right? Even that is something that the Ma doesn't have a. A say or a power to 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 change the outcome, right? So, for 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 Beijing, they prefer, well, at least I think they prefer to negotiate with people who actually have power. Now, if you come come to them without without that power, without that influence, uh, okay, they treat you as a guest. But that 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 that's the most of it. They they're not going to negotiate with you because you don't have. There's nothing they can negotiate with you about it. Um, and I'll just say this: that the one thing that I observe on both sides on this issue that um, there is this delusion of grandeur versus a paranoia of conspiracy. So on on the KMT side, those who support Ma, they think they think he's there to negotiate for Taiwan. They think he's there to uh, a harbinger of peace of some sort. No, he's not. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have influence. Beijing doesn't. Doesn't, doesn't treat him as such. 
On the other hand, the DPP, the uh, the government, and also these uh, mouthpieces within the government and the DPP, they're being some of them accused mild of trying to sell out Taiwan, of trying to um, negotiate on Taiwan's behalf with CCP without government's approval. I mean, you. I mean, this is just paranoia. This is, you guys are in power. What, so, what can you do? So, of course, he is going to be called Mr. Ma in China, Ross. As in Paul said, he has no clout. Or does he have clout within the KMT? No, he has no clout. Uh, I, I uh, have also seen uh, commentary along the lines of, of what Paul uh, referred to. that uh, is, Oh, he's wrong to negotiate. And as Paul said, well, no, he actually has no authority to negotiate. He represents himself now. <laughs> he's just one private citizen, albeit a former president. But but there will be more of that commentary. And uh, I've seen it in, in English language as well by the uh, the Taiwan experts, who, who we love so much, uh, accusing... You know, the Gomindang, you know, and Ma. So uh, again, as as Paul mentioned, there's just this inability to separate the two, and and the, the perception that he's he's representing the party in on some kind of negotiation uh, trip. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, what more can we say other than uh, I, I still don't think anyone will care about this come come a few months from now or, or uh, as we get closer to to election day. Uh, oh, one one thing to watch though would be. Uh, as the campaign season begins, whether for the presidential candidate or for the legislative candidates, uh, and this has come up in the recent election cycles as well, whether it was the 2022 uh, local election, the 2020 presidential legislative election, or the 2018 uh, uh, local election, uh, will Ma be campaigning for candidates? Will candidates welcome Ma? And if so, will Ma uh, try to make this part of his standard remarks when he's out campaigning, when he says, vote for so-and-so as the legislator from this district. Uh, and oh, by the way, I went to China in April, and let me tell you, uh, vote for the Guomindang, because uh, I went to China. Maybe, maybe he'll do that. It's uh, Again, it's always speculative, like what his market value is at, uh, as a politician. Obviously, when he left office, it, it was... Uh, uh, pretty bad, uh, uh, but it it did recover somewhat in, over time. Also, that's related to ill will towards the DPP at any given moment, which seemed to exist for local elections more than national elections. So, yeah, maybe Ma will be out there talking about this, and then we'll probably be here on ICRT saying, oh, my gosh, he's talking about his trip again and that he went to the Sun Yat-sen mausoleum again. And, and uh, please... Ma, it's okay. You can stop talking about it. Well, one thing that I want I, I want to point out the the DPP government has been saying that uh, th- th- this is part of the, the Beijing strategy to undermine their governments, uh, their authority. Um, the, the the theory goes well, Beijing is going to use people like Ma to sort of sort of show while well, they are negotiating with the opposition rather than the government. So they are um, undermining the the Taipei, the authority in Taipei, um, the, the, the actual government of Taiwan, the democratically elected government. But on the other hand, the mainland, the mainland Affairs Council, uh, the government's uh, agency to uh, dealing with the uh, cross-rail affair, they issue statements such as Saying that uh, they 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 are calling upon Mind Joe to to uh, stand firm for Taiwan, to speak up for Taiwan, 
on this trip. Then no. this this is just to, this is just absurd. This is just completely contradictory. Because if if this is actually if if Ma is really just a private citizen visiting China, treat him as such. Don't don't call, don't don't expect or call him call call on him to speak up for Taiwan or or represent Taiwan's interests. No, he's not a he's not a messenger. He's not a dignitary. He's not. A representative. Well, that does link back to the the, the issue about the, the the title and how he'll he'll be addressed. And yeah, critics are going to beat him up about that, just like they did in 2015 when he met uh, for a few hours with Xi Jinping, and they called each other president. I, had, I didn't he call him you? Yeah, <laughs> as in you, not as in a surname. Yeah, I, you. I, I, I mean, he called, they may have called each other Mister You. Yeah, they didn't. They did not call each other president or. Uh, but uh, it's a simple issue, right? If if Ma was to insist on that, then there's no trip, right? So he wants to go visit these sites. He wants to bring some young people uh, who got a free trip, as Paul pointed out. And uh, he wants to worship his ancestors. And uh, yeah. That, he's fine with that. You know, to beat him up over the, oh, but they're not going to call you Mr. President, I, I think it's a weak point. But yeah, critics will say that. I, again, I, to me, that's as, as sellable as a political talking point as continuing to bring up the trip months into the future uh, from the DPP side. Again, I, I think mom might, and that's not very effective either. But I don't think it's a factor for the DPP to keep talking about it for months to come. Uh, and and you know, the titles, uh, either you insist on that or you don't go. And obviously, he just he wants to go. And uh, we should also keep in mind that He's not doing this to conflict with Tsai Ing-wen's trip. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's the reality is it just happens to be tomb sweeping time, and he would have done this long ago if not for uh, we mentioned Wuhan earlier. You know that whole COVID thing, right? And, and also combined with the the five year restriction, you know, for which the former president required uh, government permission to go, and and obviously such permission would not be forthcoming more as a, a partisan act than Ma having any. You know, I mean, how are they going to suck national secrets out of his brain? You know, what is this like the Star Trek mind meld? Like if Ma's in a hotel room in Nanjing, like the, the secrets are going to be sucked out of his brain. But anyway. Um, um, if it wasn't for the five-year restriction and COVID, he would have gone earlier. So even when the five-year restriction ran off, um, expired, uh, he would have done this uh, either in 2021 or, or 2022. So basically, he's going as soon as was really feasible because it's tomb sweeping and all the quarantine restrictions have been lifted on both sides, you know, inbound to China or inbound to Taiwan. Uh, so he would have done this at some point anyway. And he, again, he would have done it earlier. And yeah, he, w- he would not have made an issue of uh, you know calling me president. And staying with news about the KMT this week, party chairman Eric Jew on Wednesday announced that the KMT will not be holding a presidential primary to choose its candidate for 2024's election and will instead be nominating one through a special committee. Now, according to Jew, basically the aim is to ensure party unity and to avoid internal strife. And speaking after a meeting of the party's central standing committee, Jew said the party's leadership is working to find a candidate who can appeal to voters from across the political spectrum in order to ensure the KMT can win next year's presidential election. So, Paul, well, no primary. We did have a primary with the DPP, did we? Because it all went flat there, because no one else decided to run. But the KMT is simply coming. We're just simply having no primary. 
Well, the special committee will just be every. There's not going to be a special committee. It's just going to be this guy called Eric Chu.、Um, I mean that, that that's just that's just, that's just why it is.、Uh, but the 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 fact that he killed the primary, he's deciding. Well, he's going to take that he take that responsibility, or、um, what he calls it.、Um, this is just very ill-conceived, in, in, in my opinion.、Um, what what he said about primary being sort of divided. Divisive, dividing the party, creating internal strifes. This came from very false interpretation of the 2020 presidential election. Because back in 2019,、uh, for those of you remember,、um, Han Guoyu, and then mayor of Gaoxiong,、uh, he was having his 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 day and、uh, being a very popular person. And and that year, the other candidate was.、Um, No other than Terry Guo, who is also trying to compete in this year's、uh, to, 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 for for KMT's nomination. In 2019, they actually had a primary, of which、uh, um, Han Guoyu、uh, won after months of、uh, of. Competitions,、uh, very very、uh, highly, very widely reported、um, primary process. And the idea, so Eric Chu apparently subscribed to this idea that these these primary caused internal division and and drove、um, down KMT's support later down the road and and caused them the election comes January twenty twenty. This is completely false because there is no evidence Terry Guo would have done any better than Han Guoyu. That if you if you, if you see if if you review what happened through twenty nineteen twenty twenty the ex all these exter- external event Hong Kong protests and these、um, domestic Taiwan、um, sentiment to, to China was、um, becoming becoming quite critical very very、um, and, and very very hostile. That there's nothing really that Terry Guo would have done any different than than Han Guoyu, and in fact, I think he would have done much worse than Han if he was the not the the, the candidate back in 2019. And even if there was no primary, that they just pick Han Guoyu or either Terry Guo, you wouldn't have made any much difference anyway. The voters they do not make this decision based on party cohesion or unity as as as. Every two apparently assume, so they are now.、Um, but this or this year, we know the front runner is、uh, New Taipei City Mayor、um, uh, Hou Youyi, and, Ter- and Terry Guo is also trying to run. But now, Every Chu is denying、uh, Terry Guo the the even that opportunity to compete.、Um, what、well, if he nominates、uh, Hou Hou, which it seems that、like、is going to happen. That is because that is just going to、um, that that's actually going to drive away the the, the supporters of、uh, of Guo because they they will they will they will feel that they, they get cheated out for an opportunity to compete. That that's my my view. It's certainly not democratic, and for、uh, party leadership, which is as Paul. Said it's basically Mr. Jew because he's the chairman. He basically makes all the deci- decisions. 
uh, for a party that recently has taken on a, a new marketing ploy, for lack of a better description, that they're, they stand for democracy. Right? So in that regard, they sound like the government or the, the DPP constantly saying, you know, we're standing on the side of democracy and defending democracy. Uh, but uh, this would be an example where uh, uh, they're they're defending it, but not practicing it uh, internally uh, by not having a primary. Uh, okay, so you're going to draft a candidate uh, via this committee, but obviously whoever you draft via this committee process, you'll have to talk with him or her, although it does look like it'll be a him, uh, Hoyoe, and uh, confirm that he actually wants to do it. And that's been Hoyoe's problem. And that's why his poll numbers have fallen considerably, according to several recent polls uh, within the last uh, month or so, because William Lai, vice president and party chairman, uh, said, yeah, darn right, I'm running for president. And he went and filed to compete in a primary and uh, nobody else wanted to challenge him. That's not a surprise on the DPP side. Uh, But my gosh, Mayor Ho, show, show some leadership skills, right? Do the same thing. Say, darn right, I want to be president. Primary? I don't fear a primary. I'm going to beat all my competitors in the primary, whether it's Terry Go or Eric Ju or, or Zhang Ya-jung, who, who also declared his candidacy and uh, uh, has has a small following. You know, yeah, uh, He competed against Ju in the party chairmanship election in, in uh, September 2021. And you know, Zhang Yajong with, with meager resources, his showing was pretty good in that, that election. Right? Drew didn't exactly you know, uh, win by a large margin. Um, so he'll be complaining about this. And he, in fact, he's already started to on, on Facebook. Uh, so uh, to me, this all comes back to Ho. Uh, as much as it is a discussion about Drew. And uh, again, uh, the public sees this, you know, like, oh, you know, you don't want to compete in a primary. You want everything kind of just arranged, just nice, and the party leadership to kind of come begging to you. I, I don't know what the right word is, you know, or, or to say, we've made this available for you. And it's not even really like the outcome that Drew wanted since he obviously took on the chairman job in the hope that his popularity would get to the point where he could be the candidate, uh, but that just hasn't happened, right? I mean, there, there's no indication that the public would, would support Eric Drew uh, as the presidential candidate. Uh, so now they, they got to go to Ho, and you know it's still this drama, this dance, this romance, uh, and then Ho is going to come out and say, I accept it, and I really wanted to do this all along. I really did want to be president, and I have the fire, I have the desire— my gosh, if you have the desire to lead the country, you, know, you, you should have said so a while ago. And then, of course, Paul, we're going to be the detractors in New Taipei and the DPP going, hey, he said he'd do his job as mayor for four years and he's bailed like the last KMT candidate did. Right. The, uh, the newest uh, poll we released a few days ago, we found that the majority, we asked, we actually asked a question whether people think that uh, it's appropriate for um, Hall to run for president without finishing his uh, newly elected term for four years. And majority of people actually saw that, that that's inappropriate, um, that he should have finished his term. Now, of course, that's not a, that's not a deal breaker that people 
many have done similar things and won in the past, but that that is something that he will have to explain, and he will be attacked by um by the opponent if uh, he actually runs. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and Taiwan This Week was the place to be seen. That if you happen to be a parliamentarian or a government minister for that matter. As parliamentary delegations from Paraguay and the UK jetted into town for talks with senior government officials, Germany's Federal Minister of Education and Research was also in town for a two-day visit, and tomorrow being Saturday, which happens to be a work day here in Taiwan, so I guess the government will be on hand to greet this person. Basically, well, the Speaker of the Czech Parliament Parliament's lower house is going to fly into town, Ross. This has been discussed for quite a while. Uh, uh, bringing a big delegation. Uh, 180 or 150, I believe. Something in that region of that. Yeah, let's have no doubt. I mean, yeah, they're all going to yeah, raise their hands and say, uh, we stand with democracy. Yip, yip, hooray. But they're really here for money. <laughs> uh, not, not necessarily Taiwan government money like some other places have sought, uh, Lithuania, Honduras, uh, the list goes on. But they're seeking uh, uh, direct investment. You know, they want Taiwan companies to, to set up operations there, or they want Taiwan companies to source uh, from there. Um, uh, otherwise, why would all these business people uh, be coming? Uh, they're, they're about making money. They're, they're not about... Uh, democracy. Uh, the Czech Senate president was here, or speaker, whatever the title is, uh, in the past. Uh, so there's there's this little relationship, but uh, it does hit a ceiling at some point because the EU still has a common foreign policy, and uh, you know, there'll, there'll be a there'll be a limit. Uh, the you know, the president elect had a teleconference with with President Tsai. Uh, Okay, so what happens after that? Right? Will he send a whole bunch of ministers to come here? I even saw a news report, uh, and Paul might have a view on this. Uh, it was it was in Zhongyangsha Central News Agency, claimed to be quoting a Czech government official that that said we don't even exclude Jun uh, Shi Jiaoliu, you know, some kind of you know military interaction. wasn't again, It wasn't really clear what, what what the official meant. They're going to sell weapons to Taiwan, or they're, they're going to do joint training with Taiwan. Uh, again, I, I'm not I'm not optimistic. Those things will actually actually uh, occur. So, uh, the government is clearly trying to internationalize the upcoming election by saying we're we're great at foreign policy. And uh, that's one more reason, in addition to other reasons. But it's it's one more reason why uh, we should be our party should be reelected. So uh, I, I think we're going to see lots of this stuff uh, continue throughout the year. And Paul, do you think that Taiwan has, has become the place to be seen if you happen to be a parliamentarian from another country in Europe specifically? It's a tourist uh, destination. That's that's uh, for sure. Um, but what Ross just said that, that I actually didn't see that news, and um, that's actually very interesting that uh, a Czech parliamentarian would say something like that that um, 
military exchange with Taiwan, propose something like military exchange with Taiwan, because the only country on Earth, right, uh, until quite recently, uh, that that had consistent for decades of military exchange with Taiwan, was Singapore. Singapore has actually has troops in Taiwan training every year. Um, not, very few people know about it, but it's, it's, it's public knowledge. And in recent years, United States also starts uh, sending small number of uh, train trainers um, to supposedly train Taiwan's troops. Um, but for Czech Republic, um, I mean, I would, uh, I would, I, I would, I would. Of course, I'd love to see detail if there's actually something that that's tangible happening. But so for for now, I'll just say that that's just noise. That's just um, that that's just a decoration without uh, <laughs> without intent. Uh, but on the uh, the daily the these foreign visits, uh, one thing caught my attention it was the headline um, yesterday. Um, said reads. Uh, it's concerning the, U, the 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 ones from the delegation from the UK. And then the headline reads: British MPs call for as much help as possible for Taiwan to defend against China. Bob Stewart, Bob Bob Stewart, Conservative MP and leader of the delegation, said that Taiwan was on the front line of democracy and autocracy, and the UK needs to provide as much help as possible for Taiwan. Um. If I have a face of, to face with him, I'll just say, uh, respectfully, you cannot help. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to say, you, you, you might as well take care of your own business, um, the, you, you, your own crisis at home, um, before you say something like you can provide as much help as Taiwan. You can't. What, what, what possibly, possibly can you provide? The big, the big thing that passed the, the big news last the past week was this announcement of uh, Akus, uh, the the Australian submarine program that finally uh, reached some sort of deal between the U.S., the U.K. and and, and Australia. And apparently, the, the, the Australia is spending two hundred and forty billion U.S. dollars to buy three nuclear attack submarines from the U.S. with the technologies and certain parts from the UK, and the, the the whole deal has been widely criticized. But one thing that 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 it was very obvious it was so so the, the the amount was so astronomically high and ridiculous was because the the, the, the UK is involved and so the people describe it as a huge wealth transfer subsidy to. To salvage for from Australia to salvage UK's defense industry, they can't they can't even keep that afloat, and they they, they need Australia to spend this money to bail it out, and you know in the US, what kind of help possible help can you provide to Taiwan? I could Stop, sell some over overpriced weapons, I suppose, based on what you're saying. <laughs> well, I, I don't uh, judging by the current. Situation. They can't even. They can't even over that. Uh, I mean, there was some news the, recently about uh, relatively small-sized uh, defense-related sales from the UK to to Taiwan. Um, and I guess one advantage of being out of the EU is if the UK is bold enough, they can sell 
military technology or weapons to Taiwan, whether or not it's it's something that Taiwan needs or is at the right price, is, as Paul was saying, you know, that might be unlikely. Uh, however, uh, for political reasons, if the UK was to make the, the political decision from their side that we were willing to sell more weapons to Taiwan, then politically, depending on who's in government here in Taiwan, uh, I could see the Taiwan government saying yes, just because of the political value of saying, we now have another supplier, a major country, the, the UK is willing to sell us you know, fill in the blank, whatever weapon system it is. So we shouldn't exclude the possibility, uh, but the starting point, I guess, would be for the UK to be willing to go bold on that and incur China's wrath. Well, the um, I think one of the consequences of Taiwan, the, the domestic media, they don't cover enough foreign uh, international news that the Taiwanese audience, they don't, they have, uh, let's just say, the less than average understanding of international affairs. They don't keep track of actually what's happening. And then they don't have a good sense of these things happening around the world. And one thing that, that the Taiwanese totally miss is how much the U- United Kingdom, as a, as a once, as a, as a, as a formerly um, the major power in the world affairs, how much they have declined, how much they are in deep crisis in the last last year. Well, you know, the really interesting thing about that is you know, Boris Johnson talked a lot about you know, global Britain, and, and, and an important part of that was uh, an enhanced presence in this part of the world, a diplomatic presence, a business presence, and a military presence. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've run out of money, right? They've added to COVID, and they have these tremendous problems with, with the healthcare system. And uh, Gavin, that's your area of expertise. And then, uh, of course, the clowns voted to leave Europe. Uh, <laughs> I digress. Uh, yeah, we won't get into, get into that. Uh, yeah, yeah, rising energy costs and subsidies that had to be provided and, and uh, r- rapid changes in leadership last year and uh, an upcoming election. So uh, for for the talk that came from Johnson about a military presence in this part of the world, uh, they, they don't seem to be able to follow up on it. And it's only you know, two, one or two years later after Johnson had talked about that. But at least at the moment, I mean, nobody thinks they're going to keep an aircraft carrier you know, permanently based in, in this part of the world and constantly uh, uh, patrol and, and, and drill with uh, like-minded countries like the United States, Japan, and Australia. It just, it just doesn't seem feasible at the moment. So how much could you rely on them? And you know, someone's going to accuse me of, of uh, you know, e- e- you know, being a UK skeptic, right? You get, you get in trouble for stating the obvious, like, like the U.S. Navy is not building enough ships or, or the U.K. can't can't afford to permanently base or forward deploy in this part of the world. Someone accuses you of spreading propaganda. No, it's not propaganda. As we've been discussing, that's just the financial realities. Frankly, I don't even know if the political will is there with, with the U.K. public to, to have that kind of enhanced military presence. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the point I previously made, which is if the UK was willing to sell some weapon systems to Taiwan, I, I think Taiwan would, would uh, write the check. And 
Now, we'll move on again, and Culture Minister Shi Zhe this week announced that his office is seeking to draft an amendment to the Development of the Cultural and Creative Industries Act to help curb ticket scalping. Now, the statement came after fans of K-pop group, of which Ross Feingold is one of them, Blackpink, complained about being unable to find tickets for the group's two Gaussian concerts due to said scalpers, who were offering tickets for some rare around the area of 400,000 NT. Now, according to the Culture Minister, he's now in talk with ticket sellers and event organisers to discuss effective mechanisms to curb ticket scalping. Now, the problem here is, of course, that ticket scalping is currently regulated under the Social Order Maintenance Act and it limits the fine for buying entertainment tickets with no intention for use and reselling them for a profit to 18,000 NT. Now, basically, they want the law to be ratified and... Well, they want something done with this, Ross. You're a lawyer, and it involves the Social Order Maintenance Act. Well, uh, actually, the proposal is is not to uh, change the Social Order Maintenance Act. There's a specific law that uh, governs the development of culture-related, broadly speaking, culture-related industries. And uh, it's like so many other laws in Taiwan. Or, you know, we, we have a law to encourage uh, Gavin to be a, a nice guy and Paul to be a great pollster, and uh, we have a law to encourage the culture industry to develop. Uh, so there's a proposal to, to build build some kind of stricter penalty uh, with regard to ticket scalping and put it in that law, because the, the, the provision you mentioned in the Social Order Maintenance Act, it's it, it, it's not a deterrent. The the fine is too small, and, and uh, you, know, you don't go to jail. You can just pay the fine. So if you're selling the Blackpink ticket for four hundred thousand Taiwan dollars, you know, even if you got fined, and there's rarely any prosecutions anyway. It's just the cost of doing business. So it, it's totally not a deterrent. Uh, but uh, you know, last time I checked, Taiwan was still kind of sort of a capitalist country. That's kind of like why we're always saying the communists are bad because they're communists and uh, we're capitalists and uh, we sort of kind of believe in the free market here and aftermarket for tickets for sporting events or uh, entertainment industry events it's kind of normal around the world uh, so even if the penalties are increased uh, and the politicians uh, pat themselves on the back for doing something to save the little person uh this will still go on. There's still going to be an, an aftermarket. That's that's just the reality. I, I'd, I'd rather they look at solutions like uh, making sure that there's no funny stuff when the tickets are available in the first instance. So, you know, even a little guy like me who loves Blackpink, that I'll have a fair shot uh, of getting tickets at the moment that they they go online. That you know the. The venue organizer is not holding back any tickets and then and then privately reselling them themselves. Or like I said, there's, there shouldn't be any funny stuff going on. Uh, but I, I'm I'm reluctant uh, to kind of ban it. You know, try to ban an aftermarket. It, it just never works. And then you you wind up looking ridiculous because it's still going to go on. And then you know people are going to say, Hey, I can afford it. Why why shouldn't I be able to? buy or sell um, you know, in the aftermarket. So uh, just a typical kind of uh, nanny state approach that we often see here, but doomed to fail. And of course, Paul, one of the ideas they could do is when you when you apply for a ticket online, you have to give your name and ID and that appears on the ticket, which of course theoretically could stop scalping, but likely probably not. Right. Well, I'm not very familiar with this um, issue, but 
the one the thing I read was there was some scammer that really was just selling fake tickets. Uh, and gotten a lot of money. However, they were quickly caught, and uh, apparently they're now being charged.、Um, but that was where that, that. But that guy and those guys, they caused that caused a lot of harms, a lot of、uh, sorrow. Then people bought a ticket, and they showed up, and they find out the tickets were fake. But that that the fact that they were caught so quickly, I think, also shows in this. Is、uh, I don't have the detail, but if I can guess, it would likely be them using some sort of electronic payment or bank payment, which are very easily traceable, very easily reversible, and the authorities that when they get these n- number of complaint, they 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 track them down quite easily, and then that that never、really、happens. So.、Um, You have you, of course, time to time you have people like trying trying something like this, but they usually get caught. But what about names on tickets? If you, I mean, if you want to buy a ticket for a sporting event like a baseball game, and you need to give your name and ID number, obviously that means that when you go through the turnstiles, someone's got to check your name and ID number against the ticket. A good thing, bad thing. Well, then, then that would that would really rule out resale value of those tickets.、Um, I mean, that if that's the goal, then yeah, why not? But、uh, but one of those, but but it's not something that's commonly done, as far as I know. Yeah, I I, I was just going to say, Taiwan would、uh, proclaim that they've come up with this wonderful system, and then the rest of the world would think it's really ridiculous that that、uh, the 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 ticket, you know, the physical ticket, whether or not it's in electronic form or, or paper form, but the actual ticket would have your photo or your ID number. It's just ridiculous.、Uh, I, I don't think they'll actually go there.、Uh, what about the poor ticket taker, as as you mentioned? Or you'd have to have some kind of Uh, you know, you'd be building some kind of scanning system to ensure that you, so you could do it electronically you know, without having a, a person to verify it,、uh, and then there'd be all sorts of you know, solutions people would come up with to get around that. I'm sure because the, t- the technology always runs faster than than regulators, right?、Uh, so that would be doomed to fail, and then there'd be a whole bunch of useless machines that you know that were. Created, you know, kind of like those things we see in the MRT stations, you know, all these different systems to, you know, retrieve some food or some other delivery. Right, these things come and go so frequently, right? Because、uh, nobody actually uses them.、Uh, so, uh, and, uh, the idea that you would roll this out for events with thousands or tens of thousands of, of attendees, depending on which venue it's at, you're, you're Certainly, the first few times it would break down, and then there'd be these really long queues, and you'd miss the start of the concert or the game. Yeah, I, I just think this is a ridiculous idea. I, I think again, there should be fairness at, at the initial point of sale,、um, and then in aftermarket. You know, you, you, some places have tried、uh, upper limit on on the markup,、uh, you know, as a way to prevent the resale price from getting too crazy. Um, you know, so that's that's one potential solution,、uh, but、uh, I, I think we should let the free market、uh, do its thing. And that's all we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And by Paul Huang. Thank you, everyone.
And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.